blocking, tackling, running, throwing. The fundamentals of football are clear. But what are the fundamentals when it comes to the most important team of all, Christ Church? In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and following, Dave Wurtson helps us take a look at the church in its infancy, and we'll discover the basic fundamentals the early believers devoted themselves to that ignited the most influential movement in history. Since we talked the last time, the Lombardi Trophy is safely back in Green Bay, Wisconsin. How in the world did this tiny Midwestern city become such renown in NFL history? Well, it's the stuff of legend. You see, Vince Lombardi was 45 years of age, which is ancient when it comes to the macho standards of the NFL. He was the offensive coordinator, or what would become the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants. And another coach that you might know, Landry, was the defensive coach. And Lombardi was called to become the new general manager and the new coach of the Packers. The Packers had just had their worst season ever. They lost 10 games, they won one game, and they tied one game. And so as they came back into their preseason, what was going to become a prepare-for-war preseason, even these gigantic professional ballplayers were on pins and needles And they thought a great Goliath giant was walking forward as he came through the first meeting of their training camp. And the story is told that as Vince Lombardi came forward, that he got to the front of his team and he held up a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And in that one sentence, Coach Landry focused What every losing team needs to remember, when you're losing, it's time to get back to the fundamentals. Now, in football, the fundamentals are passing and kicking and running and throwing and blocking and tackling. It's pretty easy to figure out what are the essentials when it comes to football. And the Packers went on to become one of the all-time winning, I'll never forget as a little kid, when... uh, We were watching the Ice Bowl. It was way below zero, and the Cowboys were winning. And I was over at the lady's house that wrote Nancy Drew watching with some of my friends this game, and Bart Starr was driving the Packers down, and with seconds to go in the game, he ran a quarterback sneak and went off his big lineman's rear end, and he beat the Cowboys. I cried for two days after that. Well, Vince Lombardi went on to not only win the Ice Bowl, but he went on to win the first two Super Bowls, and that is why it's the Lombardi Trophy. So what can we learn from Lombardi, this Brooklyn-born Italian, that can help us understand what we need to do as a group of believers? And interesting enough, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and following, is the equivalent of Dr. Luke saying to us, This is a football. So let's turn there because we've just had, as we begin this passage in Acts chapter 2, we just have 3,000 people get born again, which is just incredible. I mean, the apostle Peter preached 
And it says here, with many other words, and that's a preacher's way of saying that he preached a lot longer. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. I want you to save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And then it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I can imagine the pool of Bethesda was filled with people being baptized. The pool of Siloam, cross 10 a little bit, was filled with people getting baptized. I mean, any place you could find water. When you got 3,000 people that are getting baptized, especially if they were immersion Baptists, it took a lot of water. So that was an incredible thing. It's kind of like the recreation of John the Baptist's ministry. And that was the way that when they received Christ in the first century, one of the first steps of obedience was they would be baptized. And that would mean that we're publicly identifying ourselves. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. And now we're going to live in this new life. So you have 3,000 brand new baby Christians that have just been born into God's family. Now, what do you do? When you're a church family that just exploded from 120 to 3,000, what do you do? The Apostle Peter has just given birth to this, and Dr. Luke shows us in the next verses what happened. Let's look at him in verse 42. And this is one of Dr. Luke's little summary passages. We're going to have these all the way through the book of Luke, and they're very powerful in helping us to understand Uh, The fundamental essentials, you might call it church, essential church 101. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They were together. They had everything in common, and selling their possessions and goods... They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. And they enjoyed, look at the result throughout Jerusalem. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added, we kind of go back to the evangelism. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. One of the things as we think about being a church family and essential church 101, you always want to think in terms of having a balance between two big E's. One of them is evangelism. And that's what it means when it says that 3,000 people responded to the gospel. One of the things that we need to be really concerned about in our family life and in our church family life, as we're reaching out in our business and our careers, we want to be asking the Lord to daily add those that need to come to the Savior. We want to have relationships with unbelievers. And one of the things we want to do in our own church family is to encourage you and motivate you that we don't just declare the gospel here in this building, but that we take it out. That we actually think of our time as a huddle time here on Sunday morning. That kind of like the Packers or the Cowboys getting in the huddle. But it's when you go into your business. It's when you go into your school. It's when you go into your medical practice. It's when you go out to work at the GM plant. As you work in the cement industry, that you are representing Jesus because that's where you're rubbing shoulders. If you, if you have a lot of unbelieving colleagues, I want to really challenge you. The Lord has you. You are the salt and light. He's placed you in a key position. And we want to do everything we can to encourage you to realize that the early church 
was daily adding those that were being saved because Jerusalem was seeing incredible reality in their life. We need to live it in the marketplace. And that's what causes an incredibly powerful people movement to take place. But then after you come to know the Lord Jesus, you need to grow. And so you have not only evangelism in a strong community of faith, but you also have edification. That's another E word we can use. Evangelism, which is, a, which is causing people to be born again into God's family. And then edification is causing them to grow. Now, what are the essentials? What are the basics that need to take place in every group we're a part of. It begins with you dads and moms, with your family. What needs to be the essential things that we're doing as a family? What do we need to be doing in our small groups when we meet? What do we need to do after the service when a lot of us will be meeting in small groups in our Sunday school classes? What do we need to do as we meet in meetings during the week with fellow believers? And there's four basic essentials that are really important, and they're right here in this initial picture of what the early church did. The first one is that you need to have an authority that you can trust. Every one of you, when you've come to know Christ, like we have a lot of baby believers in our church family. Some of you have just come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to have all kinds of voices that are trying to teach you about spiritual realities. And so one of the first essentials, one of the basics, this is a football spiritually, is you need to have an authority that you can trust. You need to devote yourself. And the word devote means that you persist in it, that you push forward. It's the same word that I would use for the Packers in their training camp. Coach Lombardi would say, you need to devote yourselves, men. You need to persist in this. You need to hang in there when it's painful. If we're going to be a winning team, you got to devote yourself to what I'm teaching you. The early church, first of all, devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching. Look what it says. It said they devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching. What does that mean? You've had an example of the apostolic teaching already as I taught you the book of Acts. The Apostle Peter gave the first evangelistic message. And what did the Apostle Peter base his message upon as he talked to them, the very crowd that crucified Jesus? What did we find that the Apostle Peter based his message in? Even more important than his eyewitness of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, the Apostle Peter rooted his message where? In Isaiah. Where is Isaiah? It's in the the Old Testament. He rooted his message in what else? Psalm 16. That was in the Old Testament. In fact, he uses Psalm 110. He used three major passages in the Jewish scriptures. So if you're just beginning to get to know Jesus, the very first thing you need to nail down is, I need to have a place where I can go to get the right information. That's why we're doing what we're doing this morning. We're opening up the book of Acts. I'm not just telling you what I think. You have a book in your hand, and that is the apostolic teaching, and the first part of the book is the Jewish Old Testament. And you say, well, Dave, why should I hold to the authority of that? Because Jesus, your Savior, believed that the Old Testament was the God-breathed scripture. It was the place where you could hear the voice of the great I am every time you opened it up. 
And Jesus gives incredible evidence that he knew his Jewish scripture. When Satan tempted him in the desert, he's able to quote, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. Jesus knew that cult. When Satan tempted him to false worship, he would say, thou shalt worship only the Lord thy God. He knew the first commandment from the book of Exodus, from the book of Deuteronomy. He knows the Psalms call when Satan tells him that you'll not suffer his foot to be dashed against a stone. And Satan tempts him to do a presumptuous miracle. Jesus comes right back at him. Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. He gives evidence that he knows the scripture. When we have the story of Christmas, Mary's a little, you know, 14, 15-year-old girl. And she goes to visit Elizabeth her relative, and Elizabeth is pregnant, and they bust forth in praise, and as you read Mary's, what's called the Magnificat, as she begins, oh, and she lifts up the Lord, it's like this Jewish girl quoting back the Old Testament. It's something that we need to recapture, like as dads and moms, training our kids in the scripture. You say, well, Dave, what about the New Testament? Jesus promised the 11 disciples, Judas betrayed him, But Jesus promised the 11 disciples that he would guide them into all truth. The Gospel of John, as Jesus is breathing upon his disciples and says, when the Spirit comes upon you, he will guide you into all truth and he will bring back to your remembrance everything that I told you. And that's what you have access to in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which is the the basic proclamation of the gospel. And then we have Acts, this history book, and then we get into Romans and the Pauline epistles, and we finish with this marvelous book of Revelation. You have the completed, inspired books that are the apostolic teaching, the New Testament with the apostolic teaching, the Old Testament of the Jewish prophets. That's where you need to ground All of your authority, it needs to be your basic fundamental text. So the very first thing I want to challenge you for, if you've just come to know Christ, or if you've known Christ for many, many years, you're never going to really grow in your life. Just like you would never be able to be a good football player if you don't learn how to tackle. You've got to learn how to tackle. Well, the very first thing you need to do when it comes to growing in the Lord, you need to get in the Word of God. So if I ask you, Have you read the Bible? Getting into the apostolic teaching, devoting yourself to the apostolic teaching begins with you reading the scripture. That's why we did that this morning. It's why I'm teaching you right now. So if I ask you, do you know Jesus? You said, yes, I know Jesus. I said, okay, this week, have you read God's word? And if you haven't read God's word all this week, then you're going to be weak on the essentials and you're going to be deceived. And I want you to know that all of you can do this. You can all begin to read the Bible. One of, one of our church family, just in a casual conversation, just mentioned, man, for the first time in my life, I'm starting to read through the Bible. And she was sharing, said, I just can't believe it. There's all kinds of stuff there. I never dreamt was there. A bunch of those stories that some of you think you know, you don't know them at all. There's a whole bunch of stuff that your Sunday school teacher left out because they didn't think you were ready to handle what the Bible really has to say. So you need to go back. One of the things you need to do, like, have you ever read all the way through the Bible? 
You say, no, I've never really done that. Well, you can do that. In fact, there's all kinds of computer programs. They'll even budge you and beep you and, and reach out of the computer and grab you so you can read the Bible, okay? In any field that you're in, if you're studying chemistry, you've got to take the basic fundamental text. You need to read it. If you're going to learn how to fly, you need to take these flight manuals and you learn those flight manuals. Your manual that will teach you how to live is Genesis through Revelation. And we want to do everything we can. In our church family, there's all kinds of studies that you can get involved in. There are women's studies. Right after we get finished with this service, there's all kinds of Sunday school classes. And every single one of them are going to be opening up that book. And they're going to help you devote yourself to the apostolic teaching. So it begins with your own personal reading, and then it builds with a community of faith that's studying the scripture. And you need to get really serious about it. You shouldn't know the Lord very long before you actually really start to get to know the scripture. That's the very first ingredient. You need an authority. You need an authority that you can depend upon. The second thing, and this is something that we're really, really looking for in the modern world, and we're rapidly losing it in the midst of all of our technology. In fact, a lot of my young friends are getting really concerned about it, and you even see in the movies they're throwing cell phones away, and they're throwing their big screen TVs away because they're trying to remind you, hey, we need to have face-to-face communication. If you're going to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you can't do it all by yourself. In fact, in the early church, it was hard for the early church even to study the scripture just by themselves because there weren't that many scriptures. You just didn't have that many parchment scrolls. So even in their study of the word, they had to do it together. They would do it in a group like they would meet in a group like this and one of them would read the parchment letter that they got from the Apostle Paul and then they would all interact about it. So we need to recapture a second really major ingredient and that is that we need to have a a union that won't disappoint. We need to devote ourselves to the community of Christ and to one another. Look what it says in verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. And then look at verses 44 through 46 as it spells out some of the oneness that they had. All the believers were together. They had everything in common and selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together. Notice the stress on together. They met in the temple courts, but they also met in their homes. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The early church had community. That's what we mean by community. The word commune comes from the the Greek word koinos, which means that we hold things in common. Now, somebody asked me just before church today, as they were reading through this passage, they said, is this like an early form of communism? When I first came to know the Lord Jesus and I read this passage, is it telling me that I need to liquidate all of my private property? That's really a good question. When it says in this text that they held all things in common, does it mean that the Jerusalem church became like a utopian community, which has taken place down through history? Like in New England, where I was raised, and Pennsylvania, in the history of the United States, there were all kinds of utopian communities where people would sell all their belongings and they would go and live together. Some of you have heard of those things. And on our day, for example, I've been at meetings where I have fellow brothers and sisters of Christ that have sold all of their belongings and they're living, for example, in a commune in the inner city. Is that what Acts is telling us to do? 
Now, the Holy Spirit might lead some believers to do that. Like the Lord Jesus told the rich young ruler, you need to sell everything you have and come and follow me. Because the one thing that was blocking him from really devoting himself to Jesus was his worship of things. And so the Lord put his finger on what was really true. I can illustrate to you why it's so important to get to know the apostolic teaching. And the way you do that is you keep reading. So you ask yourself the question, does Jesus tell me that we shouldn't have any private property? That it's totally wrong to have my own house, to have land and things like that? Is that what the scripture tells us? Well, if the early church, according to Acts, had liquidated all their private property, then when we get to the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and we learned that Barnabas had some land, and he sold the land, and then he brought it to the apostles, and they distributed it to those that are in need. Ananias and Sapphira tried to get in on the same kind of acclaim and the same kind of praise that Barnabas enjoyed in the family of believers. And before they were struck dead, Peter said, he said, wasn't the land yours before you sold it? Couldn't you have even kept what the Apostle Peter says is you actually didn't need to give all of it. Don't lie. That's what they got struck down. They didn't get struck down because they didn't liquidate all their private property. In fact, one of the commandments says, Thou shalt not your heavenly daddy and the new covenant enabled you by the power of the Spirit to live this. One of the major commandments that protects your house, it protects your belonging, it says, thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not covet. You're right. If private property is liquidated, there ain't no more coveting anymore, because what's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. So what the Scripture's teaching is not like an early form of commandments. And it's, you say, how do you know that? Because I'm putting together, I'm illustrating to you why you need to get to know the apostolic teaching. Because almost every cult group will tell you to liquidate your finances and give the finances to the leader of the cult group. And they'll live richly while you starve and go out on the airports and beg for money so that your leader can live more sumptuously. So what, what Acts is saying, Dave, what is Acts saying? What Acts is saying is, your brothers and sisters, all of you, in fact, I could have you raise your hand, as your family, when your family members get in trouble, like when my brother gets in trouble, what do I do? When he's in trouble financially, I figure out what can I do to help meet that need. And I help them with that. You've all done that throughout your families. What it's saying is look around. These are your brothers and sisters. One of the things we need to be praying about today is that we grow in our commitment to one another. One of the greatest challenges is that we're moving as Americans away from eyeball to eyeball, body to body, eating together, being in one another's homes. Spending time together, truly being brothers and sisters. In fact, I believe one of the most powerful ways that we're going to be able to touch the unbelieving world in the coming years of Jesus tarries is by the family unity and the passion that believers have as brothers and sisters for one another. You can show unbelievers this week what it means to really be brothers and sisters. And the way we do that is we eat in one another's homes. 
We are involved in small groups. We minister to one another when we're sick. And when there's financial needs, we sell our possessions as the Lord leads us in order to meet those needs. One of the things that happens in Belothian Bible Church is that there's money that flows through our church family on a monthly basis. That's a very biblical thing. It's totally under the auspices of the leadership of our church. So it's not like you can just launder funds. But every single month, those of you find out there's a need over here, you graciously give to meet that need And that's what the early church was doing. And it's one of the things of the body of Christ, like in your Sunday school class, as you find out about specific needs, it's very normal for you, just like you would for a sister, just like you would for a mother, just like you would for a grandfather. What Jesus was doing when he created the body of Christ, he created a much bigger family. And that's one of the major things we want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do. You need an in-group. Let me, and let me tell you this. The group that you hang with, the group that you feel a oneness with, is the x-ray that reveals what's going on in your heart. In other words, if you're not a Packer fan, how many of you went and tailgated at the Super Bowl last Sunday? Anyone that tailgated at the Super Bowl, raise their hand. Nobody. You know why? Because very few of you are Pittsburgh fans or Packer fans. If the Cowboys would have been playing, we would have had a totally different Sunday. You know why? Because what's inside of you determines what you do. And you need to realize that with your kids. Like you want to create an atmosphere that your little kids, they love to be around those that follow Jesus. And we want to think of more and more ways as the body of Christ that we can express that we hang out with those that have a commitment to Jesus. And that becomes powerful as a magnet to bring unbelievers into that oneness. The third thing that you need to do in this essential is really important. You need to have a connection with heaven. Notice what it says in verse 42. They not only devoted themselves to oneness or fellowship. The word fellowship means that you're a a family unity, a family community, a family sense of oneness together. And they were expressed that by breaking bread. They were having communion together. That's what that means. They were doing that not just in, uh, they didn't even have any churches. They did it in their homes. So you dads feel free to have communion at times when you have gatherings of friends or at special holidays. You can do that. It also tells that they also devoted themselves to prayer. Another basic essential. Number one is devoting to apostolic teaching. Number two, devoting yourself to the family unity. Brothers and sisters, thirdly, you devote yourself to prayer. Just like I asked you, have you read the word? I want to ask you, have you devoted yourselves to prayer? Now, all of us pray just before we have an accident. But you want to pray constantly. And so, like, as you're meeting your Sunday school, like, in just after this service, you're going to meet together. And these four essentials that I'm sharing with you, you need to evaluate, are we building healthy, essential relationships in our small group? Do we study God's word? Do we really have a sense of brothers and sisters? Are we doing things that make us feel more like family? Or are we moving away from that? 
And what can we do to respond to the Holy Spirit to make that stronger? Thirdly, are we devoting ourselves to prayer? So if you're a brand new baby believer and you wonder why you're gathering together with these new brothers and sisters and they share requests and then they talk to God. If you're from like a, uh, if you're from a Jewish background, for example, that would be really strange to you because in Judaism, you memorize your prayers. Some of you are from like a Roman Catholic background. And I've even done services where priests, with priests, where I ask them, well, you pray at this time in the service. And the, and the priest will say, we're, and he takes out his book. And, I, and, and I've, I've even taken the book at times and says, here, you, here it is, right here in your book. You can pray this. Because if you're a priest, and a lot of the, the guys that I was raised with back in the East Coast were from Vince Lombardi's background. They're Roman Catholic. They don't just pray extemporaneous. You pray prayers. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Psalms is a great thing for you to do, to pray. Now that you've come to Christ and you become his son and daughter, Jesus teaches you, you don't need repetition. You don't need just memorize things. He says, I now call you not even just my friends. I call you my sons and daughters. And he gives you illustrations like if your son asks you for fish, will he give him a stone? So you as a son have every right to talk to your heavenly daddy about all of your needs, all of your fears, all of the concerns you have at work. You can just talk to him. And some of you that are brand new believers, you'll really refresh us because you don't know any of the holy language yet. So you just say things like, hello, this is Dave. I'm not sure how well you know me, but you're the all-knowing God. I guess you know that I'm Dave. And I'm really struggling. I'm not even sure I, I can have the right to talk to you. But I have this particular need. Like I'm really scared at work about this particular individual that's really giving me a hard time. And you start praying like that. And boy, down through the years as I've walked with the Lord, whenever I'm with a group of people that start really talking to God like that, the power of the Spirit's unleashed in incredible ways. So as a church family, we not only listen to God in his word, but then we talk back to him and we communicate with him. He creates a sense of oneness. The final thing that the early church had, which was a big essential. And interesting, when Dave Lauer and I were, were exposed by an incredible teacher to the, uh, the balance of proclaiming the gospel evangelism, making sure that you were growing in edification, and our teacher taught us there are three basic essentials. The teaching of the word. Make sure when you're in a church family, make sure you're teaching the word. Number two, make sure there's a great sense of family oneness in Christ. Number three, make absolutely sure that they vote themselves to prayer. And that was it. But there's another ingredient. It says that every single day they were praising God. Did you see that? Look at it. It says in verse 47, we left this out. They said, praising God and enjoying the favor with all the people. What we just did in the beginning of the service. As Bible church people, please hear me. You want to get here five minutes early because it's really important for you to praise God. And it's praising God. That's what worship is. Worship means expressing the worth of God. And what happened in the body of Christ is we argue over how, whether we like the way that we praise God or not. 
Like, I like to praise God with country. I like to praise God with liturgy. I like to praise God. And I only join with those who praise God with how great thou art. Another group says, no, I only praise God with KLTY music. If you were God and you're gathered together in his family and you're, you're longing for his family to say, I love you. I'm so thankful that you answered our prayers. That's what we praise God this morning for. And if, if we could actually see Jesus and the Father and the Spirit were powerfully moving among us, all those arguments over style and form are going to end. Because what worship is is just when you and, and myself from our hearts say thank you. We praise you. Packer fans, when they won the Super Bowl, you know what they did? They praised. That's what they did. I saw Packers fans running, shouting. You know what you're seeing in Egypt? Do you realize that you're seeing an incredible, incredible once in all of history? And you saw millions of people worshiping. They're praising. They're exalting. You know what they're exalting? One of the things that you as Americans hold really dear. We need to pray. But as you looked in the streets and you heard people like you saying, I'm free. For the first time, I'm not afraid to say what I think about our president. You had reporters say, for the first time, I'm not controlled by the state media. I can just report what's actually going on in that square and not show pictures of an empty square when it's actually filled with thousands upon thousands of people as Americans. That should move you really deeply. And that's what worship is, is that you have this incredible movement of God's spirit working in your life, and it moves you to praise, to exaltation, and sometimes to deep times of grief and longing and crying out to God. Those are the four essentials. Vince Lombardi says, this is a football. God says, this is my word. This is the family of believers. Prayer, this is prayer, and this is praise and worship. 